1: Christ Chapel College. Uh, My name's Nathan. I'm just one of the pastors on staff here. Um, This is Amy. That's Ben. They're both big deals. Ben likes to wave. Um, Hey, welcome. Um, We're so glad you're here. Um, Here's the thing. Before we get jump jump into this, um, I love that song and I love... uh, that the worship team got to lead us in that. And it points to a truth that we always um, will remind you of every week that you're here. And it's the fact that we are just broken, imperfect people who worship a perfect God who redeems and restores and makes broken things whole. So that's what this morning is about. Um, With that said, though, if it's your first time or your hundredth time, wherever you are on the spectrum, and you want to make this place feel a little bit smaller and be a little more known, uh, fill out a Connect card or a serve card. Both are great ways to get plugged into this ministry, and there's a lot of options on each of those, so uh, fill one of those out if you're interested. Some calendar stuff for you. This upcoming Wednesday, we have a young adult service called Renovate. Um, it happens about seven, eight minutes down the road at the church that we are connected to called Christ Chapel Bible Church. It happens at a big sanctuary. I think, Ben, are you preaching? I'm not. Okay, He's not preaching, who is? Robert, Robert Newberry. Robert Newberry, who's like the young adult, one of the young adult directors. Good He's, guy. he's preaching. He's a great guy. It'll be great. Um, but it's really awesome. Free food, 6 p.m. Worship at 7. I'll be there. A lot of us in this room typically go. So join us over there for that. Um, some other calendar stuff. Next Sunday starts spring break. Yeah, right? Are we excited? Okay, cool. Um, So on Sunday, we won't be meeting in this building, uh, mainly because we'll be on a beach in Belize, at least I will. Um, So with that said, if you're still in Fort Worth, though, we will still be worshiping at Christ Chapel for anyone that's in town. They have a 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. and a 5 p.m. service, which is honestly my my favorite. So if you're around next Sunday, go to uh, Christ Chapel and you Um, can be a part of those worship services over there. And then the same thing on the back end of spring break. We won't be meeting here in the morning, so you can go over to the main campus, or um, and or, I should say, we are gonna be doing an 8.30 p.m. worship and baptism service in this room. And if you've never been to one of our worship baptism services, It's a party, we love it, we clear the whole room out, put a horse trap in the middle, and then we dunk people that are celebrating that they are in Christ and they wanna profess that to the world around them. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So that is an awesome night. The last thing that I want to put on your radar before we jump in is this thing called Discipleship Project. The Discipleship Project is awesome, and what it's going to be all about this upcoming semester, Amy leads it. Um, She's really great. Um, Each semester we tackle something kind of different, and this semester is all about how to read and study your Bible. We hope that you are reading and studying your Bible when you're with us, and we will preach through books of the Bible here at Christ Chapel College, but one day you're gonna graduate and move on, sadly, and I'll cry. Um, And the hope is, is that you are able to read your Bible on your own for the rest of your life and study it and mine it for the deep, truth and wisdom that is in it, um, and your life is changed by it. And so Amy is leading that. Um, those courses and that the Discipleship Project on, on Tuesday nights is one of my favorite things that we do, and I honestly learn a lot from it just getting to sit and listen to, to Amy's teaching and the way she leads those discussions. So all that said, that's the end of it. Let's jump into this. Um, If you have never been to Christ Chapel College before, um, this Sunday is kind of unique. It's going to be a little different. Normally, me or Ben or someone else is up here preaching through um, a book of the Bible um, or a chapter of 2 Samuel, which is what we're going through this semester. Today, obviously, is a panel, not us preaching. The reason that we are doing this today is because a couple weeks ago, I got to preach on David, um, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 and his big mistake, sleeping with another man's wife, then plotting to kill her husband, this whole big disaster. And there's, there was forgiveness there for sure, but what that started was a big ripple effect of his sin that had a lot of massive consequences and implications. Ben got to preach and kind of dial in on that story, and we got to look at Psalm 51, which is basically David's like journal entry on that whole thing, and we see his, his repentance um, in that. And then that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 13 which is what we would be preaching on today. But just to warn you, um, I would encourage you to go read it on your own, but to warn you, it's a really hard passage to read through. There's a lot of really difficult events that happen, um, and it kind of gives a play-by-play, and it's really difficult to read through. And instead of preaching through it, what we wanted to do was unpack, um, and I'll, I'll summarize what happens in it here in a second, but unpack those events and then talk about them. And it If you go and read it, um, and even me just giving a summary of it, what's going to happen is it's going to bring up a lot of questions. And hopefully we just start answering some of those questions um, and at least address some of the, the main ones that come up. But I say this with every time we do a panel, this is only going to be the beginning of a conversation. This might stir up more questions within you. More, um, more things might come up out of this. And so know that we're not afraid of those. That's why we're doing this. And you, we are accessible to you. So reach out after this. You can always DM us. You can always find one of our numbers um, or email us, whatever you want to do. Um, this might just be the start of the conversation. We want to walk you with you in that. So to kind of summarize what's going on in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Um, we see two brothers, Amnon and um, Absalom, and they're sons of David, and they have a sister named Tamar. In the beginning of chapter 13, it says that Amnon says that he loves Tamar. That's how the whole kind of setting sort of opens, is with that tone. But what we're going to see is the events of chapter 13 roll out, and then that love gets disordered, becomes destructive, it turns into objectifying and reducing his sister Tamar, and ultimately, the way the chapter kind of closes with this whole story is that it says Amnon hates Tamar. Uh, Tamar. His love kind of turns into this deep, ugly hatred of her, Um, and it's the story of where he really does just reduce her to an object, he uses her, and then he's just done with her and then dismisses her, and it's a really jaw-dropping story. But it's this this moment, again, a play-by-play, where we see Amnon kind of premeditate a plan to, um, after he's objectified and this love has gone too far um, to use Tamar. And so he calls her into his chambers. There's another guy kind of complicit in the plans, and Tamar goes to his bedroom, and he's like, hey, I love you and confesses and wants this really romantic, deep, intimate relationship with her. And she's like, we cannot sleep together. This is unlawful for one. I'm gonna protect myself though, and I'm trying to protect you and everything else. We should not do this. And we see, despite her protests and despite her rejection of that, what Amnon does is he, it says explicitly that he overpowers her and he rapes her. And it's this really hard story to read. And we see so many other sins play out. His own brother, Absalon, then premeditates a plan to murder Amnon out of anger. Um, we see King King David really do nothing as a father of all of them or as a king who's supposed to be carrying out justice um, and withhold justice. And you just see sin after sin, ugly story after ugly story, um, and just injustice is marked all through chapter 13. And again, there's a lot more details if you go and read it, but that's the Spark Notes version of what's going on. And even just hearing that alone brings up questions for me at least. And I imagine for a lot of you in this room, and the first one that I had reading through this story specifically is knowing that scripture is the authoritative word of God. And God says, this is true. This is where you can see my character, and my character is loving and gracious, and I am a God who upholds justice, all of those things. And yet, I know that, but I read a story like this, and the first question that pops up for me is, is God okay with this? Is, is God okay with the events that happen in this chapter? And there's others. Stories in Scripture, for sure, that highlight things like this. But here it's just so explicit and it's so jaw-dropping. Is God okay with this? And I'd love for you all to start answering that. Ben, maybe you you kickstart us there um, and begin to answer that yeah. question.
2: Um, I think it's a, a really natural question that, uh, man, when you study God's Word, and, and this is God's Word, this is uh, we believe this is authoritative. Uh, and yet when you come across awful, horrible stuff like this, I think that's a really natural question to ask, and the answer is absolutely not. Uh, God makes it really clear he's not okay with this. Uh, He hates evil. I mean, even explicitly uh, here in this story, I mean, Deuteronomy 22, um, God explicitly talks about this kind of idea, the the idea of sexual assault and abuse and rape, and uh, God hates it, especially especially towards those who are vulnerable, Um, and this... Today is a heavy day, right? We're not going to beat around the bush. We're also not going to avoid hard things in Scripture. Um, today's going to be a heavy day. So, like Nathan said earlier, if this is your first time, it's not always this heavy. Um, but, but our lives have heaviness to them at times. There are seasons in our lives. There's things we've experienced, and so, um, man, answering these hard questions today is going to be really important. Um, maybe for you, or throughout the next you know forty-five minutes. Um, somebody that the Lord puts on your heart that that needs to hear this and needs to remember this truth, um, but God hates it. Uh, God hates when, when vulnerable people are abused and used. Um, we're going to talk a lot about, obviously this story is about a woman being raped here in chapter 13, but uh, we know, man, this is men and women. Males and females have experienced this kind uh, of horrible thing that God says page after page after page in Scripture uh, that he hates. Uh, something really fascinating. And actually, Amy made this observation to me, and it's just stuck. Uh, Hagar who is another woman in Scripture who is used, and when she's used up by Abraham and Sarah ultimately, and she has a child, and no longer, eventually she gets to a point where that's no longer useful uh, for them. They just discard her functionally. And it's Hagar in the midst of being used and in the midst of being kind of thrown away in many ways and feeling so far gone, Hagar is the one who actually is the first person in Scripture who gives God the name, the title, uh, God the One Who Sees, which I think is such a beautiful thing that even in the midst, I mean, this is a woman in Scripture who was the lowest of low, I mean, she was just cast away in such a, a what was done to her was such a horrible thing. Uh, and yet even she could see God and say, this God has not forgotten me. This God still sees me, and she's the first person in Scripture who says that his name is the God who sees. That's who he is, which is, I think, a beautiful thing because the character of God uh, is not defined by the wickedness of broken people. Um, God says no to this, Um, but also he asks us to hold each other accountable with well, something we'll talk about towards the end of this panel. Um, but also he says he will hold people accountable as well. Uh, he takes this really seriously and, and he's, he is a God of justice. Sometimes that justice doesn't come on our timeline or, or as quickly as I'd like to see it. Um, but we do believe that. And so man, authoritatively and as loud and as boldly as I can say, God's not
1: okay with this. It's really good. Ben, I, uh, I appreciate you saying that. And I loved that line that you had in there of God's character is not defined by other people's wickedness. I think that's so important to remember um, and so crucial. And I also love that you highlighted, yes, the story is a story about a woman who was overpowered and raped and that, we'll talk a lot more about that here in a minute, but that's not just a a woman thing. Like that's very much just a humanity thing. Men and women both get assaulted and abused in that way. And so I hope you hear us that this is, um, we're trying to address everything that happens in this broken world um, but with that said this world is broken and God's character isn't defined by the wickedness of other people and yet wickedness still exists and yet evil things and terrible things and ugly things still happen and I can know that God's character is good and I love what you pointed out about Hagar of like yes God is the one who sees and he's, he sees me and my brokenness and my hurting I know that he's sovereign I know that he's in control of all things so with all that in mind the question then comes up, why do evil things still happen? And maybe that's just more of what you were talking about, but it's still an uncomfortable question that you get wrestling with all of that. Why do evil things happen? Why does God allow injustice and abuse like this to happen? Um, Amy, I'd love for your thoughts on that. And Ben, if you want to tag anything on, that'd be great.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm happy to handle that, but I feel like I need to warn you, it's not a real satisfying answer, um, but, but that really is the question that anybody who's suffering an injustice or a horror or a great loss, we come to this sticking place where we're like, "If, if is God really good? And he allows these kinds of things to happen. And that's really the, the deeper question then. And so the, the question of why does evil exist in the world We have to go all the way back to the beginning. We have to go to Genesis. We have to go to the world as God created it. And I'm going to take you there real quickly. You know, back in the first three chapters in Genesis, we see God created everything good. And he created men and women. And we're told right away that they're different than all the rest of the creation. They are made in the image of God and here's one of the ways that that men and women are made in the image of God we have agency we have the ability to make our own decisions and make our own choices we're not like the animal world that must just follow their instinctual patterns but we have agency we get to choose and that includes we get to choose to be rebellious toward God so we get the you know the very first the creation story there's a man and there's a woman and, and before they start making their choices, it's a beautiful relationship between the people and God, and it's a beautiful relationship, a free relationship that they, that they have with one another. But God gives them a boundary, and he says, there's this one thing I don't want you to do, and they get to make a choice. And we see that Satan comes in, and he kind of tempts them with something that's already in their heart. Wouldn't you rather be like God? Wouldn't you like to make your own choices? and they sin. They they make a choice that's outside of God's bounds and immediately we see this rupture in the good relationship they have with God and immediately we see a rupture that they have in their relationship with one another. The very next sin is when God addresses it the man blames the woman and then he blames God. So you immediately see everything starts falling apart and, and this is the reason we have sin in the world today is because we have humans in the world today and humans have agency. And if any one of us were in the garden, we would have done the same thing. We would have made a decision that was outside of God's bounds, and that's kind of how we live our life right now, isn't it? Uh, The writer of Romans, in Romans 5, he gives this great description of kind of the consequences when sin comes into the world, and he says, just as sin came into the world through one man, death came through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. So all the consequences that come from sin, that comes from human beings, destruction, decay, ultimately ending in death, those come because humans are in the world and humans choose wrongly. So we just, we live in a wrong-filled world and that means sometimes we're gonna experience evil and sin because we make the wrong choice. Other times we're going to experience it because other people make the wrong choice. And then there's a whole third category, all the decay and disintegration leading to death that li- exists in the world. Sometimes that just lands on us, like a car wreck or a cancer diagnosis or something that no individual caused. We live in a world where humans have choices, and there's sin and evil in the world because humans are in the world.
2: So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I mean, I... So agree with that answer. So well said. Um, yeah, that is really the theological framework for why evil exists. Um, and yet for, for us, I think we'd all admit, and you'd probably admit, that's really, like Amy said, unsatisfying. Right? That, that's great. That is a theological understanding, but that doesn't comfort me when I'm hurting. Right? When I have experienced evil against me or when I see a loved one who experiences evil, that doesn't comfort me. And so I want to just piggyback off of that very accurate answer with something that I find comforting when I am stuck in the why and I don't have a good answer for it. Right, I'm stuck in the why, and yes, this theological framework is the reality, but but when I am stuck in that place uh, hurting, it's really comforting to know that God is there with me, right? And I mean it in this way. Um, Every other religious framework is going to have a God that's very distant, right? But what we believe in Christianity is that, you know, the second person of the Trinity, right, that God with flesh on entered into our brokenness. So when I am suffering, God is not this guy in the sky with a beard who I stiff arm and I'm like, why are you allowing this? God not only sees my hurt, but he says, I care about you. And I'm going to enter into this brokenness so that you might have hope and healing eventually. And we believe in a God who entered into our brokenness in the person of Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years ago, he walked the earth, and he suffered, and he experienced loss, and then he was abused unjustly, and he was hung on a cross, and he died. And so we have a God who's not this distant theological God that's created a framework for his ants to move around and get in trouble and be affected. No, no, we have a God who's personal and who knows, sympathizes, and empathizes with the deepest hurt because he's experienced it, and he experienced it because He wants to bring freedom because he hates it, because he wants to see healing in your life, because he wants to set you free and protect you and one day give you a hope where that isn't the case and wants to give you a new identity and and make you new uh, from that brokenness that he hates. And man, that is so comforting for me that even when I'm not sure why, why is this happening? Why did this happen to me? I know I got a God who sympathizes and empathizes and and walked it, walked it so that I might one day experience newness and freeness from it. That is huge uh, as, I, as I wrestle with kind of the, all right, theological, but the, the today, the practical.
1: That is really good, Ben. And that is comforting to know that God actually experienced evil and abuse and suffering. And then on top of that, what's comforting to me is that the good news of the gospel is that not only did he just experience it, but he conquered it. And he walked out of a grave, rose to life, and he says, one day I'm going to usher in a perfect kingdom where evil doesn't exist anymore and pain doesn't exist anymore and suffering doesn't exist anymore. And that is such a big hope to me. And that until that time comes when we are ultimately set free, he is present with us in the here and the now. And that I take a lot of comfort from that personally. Um, Something else I want to say before I jump into this next question is just the reminder that um, this experience, sexual assault, rape, Abuse, being overpowered, all of that is an experience that both men and women share, boys and girls, the whole thing. But I do want to call to attention, and this is a question for you, Amy. Why does it seem, I mean, not even just looking at Scripture, but looking at the world around us, you don't need to go far to realize that women are uniquely, so often, the, the subject of this kind of abuse and oppression. And so often, the, when it comes to this category of sin, they're the ones that are taken advantage of. I, although it is an, a common experience, it seems like it's overwhelmingly women the most of the time. And so why why is that? What are your your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, it's it's true. We see it in the Bible. This isn't the only story of a woman who's sexually assaulted. Um, it begins in Genesis the beginning of time, it continues. We know it's always been prevalent. It's on every continent and every country. Um, This is a great big mess in the world and, and it does seem like women are the targets. And I do think there is a theological framework that kind of helps us understand that just a little bit. If you'll kind of go back to that Genesis story with me, we've got the first man and the first woman and Satan is there tempting them. And as God brings all their sin to light and is addressing them, God actually addresses Satan in that instance. And this is what he says. This is Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity, which means hostility and hatred, I will put hostility and hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And so right there at the beginning of time, we get this understanding that there is an aspect of womanhood that Satan is going to hate. He's just going to have a particular hate for women. Eve represents all women there. Um, I believe the primary reason, the text goes right on to say her name is Eve and she will be the mother of all the living. So right there we get this reality that what God made in women is the capacity to bear life. Mm -hmm. And we know that Satan, doesn't like life. Satan's actually opposed to life. Satan's called a murderer in the scriptures, and so we get this picture that Eve represents all women. All women who have the capacity to bear life are going to be um, on the receiving end of spiritual hatred from Satan, and so that that's just a reality for all of us. I don't. I don't want the girls in the room to think, "Wow, I I am." going to receive more spiritual attack than the guys there's plenty of that for everyone but there is just a unique vulnerability that you carry in your body as a potential life bearer and a good enemy will always know the other side's vulnerabilities and so it's a vulnerability that is unique to women and we see evil using this vulnerability from the beginning of time to where we are today
1: i love that um and based on past conversations, I'd love if you could just dive into what a practical understanding of that is. Um, why is understanding that so important and so necessary? Because again, like Ben was saying, that's the theological framework, but how does that go into our day-to-day life? Yeah,
3: good, great great question. Um, I think it goes to our day-to-day life. When this kind of thing happens to you, it's deeply personal and it's individual, and that is true and real. But it's important for all of us practically to understand it's a part of a bigger thing. It's a part of a spiritual battle that exists in the world that we live in. And I I know we don't see this with our eyes, but we actually experience all the consequences of it. And it's true, from the beginning of time, there has been a spiritual battle. Satan is always opposing God and he's opposing the plans of God and he's opposing the people of God. And this is a part of the spiritual battle that we see from the very beginning. Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We struggle against the spiritual forces of evil. And so that's just the reality of the bigger picture. This is a spiritual battle. And here's, here's what's practical. Um, here's why it's important that you understand it that way. If it's a spiritual battle, there are only two sides, okay? It's good and evil. It's God and Satan. It's holiness and evil. There are only two sides, so it's important for us to understand and figure out which side do I want to be on. We all get to make that choice. and I, I want to speak I want to speak to the guys in the room and I, I refer to you as my brothers, my younger brothers, because that's what God says we are. But before I say this, I want you to know I feel motherly love for all of you. and so I want you to receive that in this tone. Um, you're probably sitting out there thinking, I'm not a rap- I'm not a rapist. I don't want you to think I'm a rapist. And here's what I want you to know, I don't think you're a rapist. And you're probably also sitting out there thinking, if this is a problem all over the world, I'm one person, what can I do? And that's what I want you to hear. You're one person, and you can do something here. So, my brothers, I I want you to understand it's a spiritual battle, and it begins in your heart. And then you have some agency in the world that you live in, the people you have influence over So any time a woman is objectified, I really appreciate you using that term. Any time a woman is objectified, it gives Satan some ground. It gives the enemy a foothold. And, And we use the word objectified a lot. It means we do not see a woman as an individual made in the image of God. We see a woman as an object. She's there to be used. She's there to be enjoyed. She's there as my entertainment. She's there as something I consume. So that happens so uh, in such sinister, subtle ways. It happens in a joke that we laugh at. It happens in a story that we tell that maybe is an intimate story that should not be shared and told. We know it happens in images, in photographs, in video. So guys, I want you to know first in your heart Anytime a woman is objectified, you're giving the enemy some ground. And so you have, you have to work with God in your heart, and then you have to address it in the sphere of influence that you have. That means when the joke or the story is told, when the image is shown, can you speak up and call it what it is? And I will guarantee you one thing. If you choose to do that, you will not be popular. You will not be popular, and you actually will experience enemy opposition. You're going to feel the spiritual battle if you choose to take that position. But I want you to know you won't be popular, but you will be noble. You will be noble. You will be lined up on the side of God in this battle. You will be noble doing something that might protect your sisters, your mothers, your future wives, and your future daughters. So that's what you can do to be lined up on God's side in this battle. Now, I want to talk to sisters, little sisters, too. And I want you to know that the motherly love I feel for you is overwhelming. And so the first thing I want you to hear is that when this kind of evil lands on you, it is never your fault. Never. You are never responsible for someone else's sin. It doesn't matter what you were wearing. It doesn't matter what you were drinking. It doesn't matter where you went. It doesn't matter what kinds of things you had said yes to in the past. When you're overpowered, when you're violated in this way, that is someone else's sin and it is not your fault. But sisters, you have to see the big picture too. And you have to recognize this is a spiritual battle and you have an enemy and you are vulnerable. And so you have to be aware of that, and you have to be careful. We get these uh, words of warning in 1 Peter 5:8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So sisters, it's not your fault. But as a motherly person in your life, I want you to be careful, and I want you to know that this danger is real, real, and this danger is bigger than you. So be careful with yourself. Be careful. Be watchful with your other sisters, and that's how we can be on God's side of this battle.
1: It's really good. Um, ben, I'd love if you have any other thoughts on, on that, of like the person in this room who's thinking, okay, I'm not the rapist i'm not whatever but i do feel almost like you amy like this protective tendency of i want to protect and safeguard how can i help ben do you have any more thoughts on that kind of yeah question?
2: i'd love to um yeah i think to the person who says Man, how can i help how do I, how can i step into this what can i do everything amy said i think um i would just agree with there, there is a role that we play um Genesis 2. We've been going back to Genesis a lot. God's design and brokenness that showed up in Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis chapter 2, one of my favorite definitions of biblical masculinity, um, but really its I think it's something that just pertains to those who are image bearers of God, which is male and female, uh, is, when, is when Adam gets the, the job by God. God gives him the job of naming the animals. And his job in creation early on at the beginning was, was okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create order here. God has given me this voice and given me this, this authority over creation to order things, to say, okay, these are zebras and these are lions. And, the, and there is this element in, in Genesis 2 I think is really important, and I think it still should be played out in our life today that, man, to, to walk in that, that role that God has given us. If you are an image bearer of God, if you're a follower of the Lord, it's, it's to speak order into the chaos to speak truth into the lies that you see in your own life and you see in the women around you and the men around you. That's a mandate that God has given you, that we get to step into it and say, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not who you are for men. It's an opportunity for us to stand and say, that is a daughter of the king. And to call value what valuable is and to call worthy what worthy is, and even even people who don't think of themselves in that way, to say, you're wrong. You aren't seeing yourself properly. And so we get this role to play, all of us do. And man, it starts, everything Amy said, it starts in your own heart. It starts with seeing rightly. God, would I see myself? Would I see others the way that you see us? Would we see through your lens? And that's a heart thing, man. And some of it is, yeah, it's that bantering. It's it's what you like on Instagram. It's it's a joke that you'd laugh at or a joke that you'd repeat. It's all of those things, but it's also all that hidden sin too, right? It's those hidden things that I'm training my heart to either objectify or not objectify. And so we've got to see rightly. I, I mean, as a young man, I struggled... With lust a ton in my life, and and pornography was a, a big part of my story as a young man, and really wrestled with like, okay, I just hid that, right? I I might have been the guy who stood up and said, no, don't make that joke, or you know, publicly I might have been quicker, um, but man, that private sin, there was just a lot of shame. I was like, man, I don't want to, I don't want people to know about this. I'm going to hide this. Uh, and one of the things I believed was I thought, well, man, when I get married. Uh, that'll go away, and, and that's uh, it didn't, right? Because um, our spouse is not the solution to our sin, right? Jesus is the solution to our sin, right? Our, our sin or our lust or, our, or the lies we believe is not gonna be fixed with a spouse. It's gonna be just there waiting for us on the other side of marriage, and so right now as young adults, learning to fight that, learning to bring it into the light, learning to see the way God sees, and then doing all those things, speaking up, Right, stepping up, well, maybe it's unpopular, being noble, all of those things of what it looks like, calling out sin, what it is, identifying it in your own heart and finding people who love Jesus enough to where you can bring that into the light too and say, hey, here's, here's where I'm stuck, here's what it looks like, and, um, and be able to, to share that. And, and then the last thing I would say too, just encourage you, um, you, you have a part to play, you have a, a fight in this and a role in this fight um, men and women, um, but also be, be careful of shame, right? I mean, shame is this thing that um, as we fight, we think, oh, well, I messed up, or who am I, right? And, and there's conviction that comes from the Lord, and that's just, it's a gift, right? Conviction from the Lord that says, hey, there's this sin here, there's this thing that isn't right, or you're not seeing it, or you haven't, you know, you've already messed up, or all of those things that might be conviction, but then shame comes in, and it says, that defines you, your mistakes, your past." what happened to you, what you chose to do, whatever it is, that now defines you and you start to just feel buried under that. And so, man, just knowing that that's not from the Lord, that is a lie. That is one of those lies that we've got to continue to bring into the light. And I know we'll, we'll hear a little bit more about that. Um, but man, continue to speak truth into lies uh, and even in your own heart, battle that shame and, and battle the lies of, of how the enemy would want to shrink and objectify and, uh, and limit what, what God has said is beautiful and worthy.
1: It's really good, and both of y'all gave really practical advice on that, but it's also really challenging, and, and that is challenging stuff. And that, I love that that all addresses the person in here that's saying, okay, how can I help? How can I be an advocate? How can I? All those things. But I want to address the person in here who's sitting here thinking, okay, I've been affected by this, and I've been a part of this, or something, someone near me has, or whatever. How can I receive help? Um, I want to start talking about that angle as we kind of wrap up here, um, as someone who's been affected, what help is available? How do you receive that help? And Amy, I'd love for you to kickstart that.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, we, got to talk about help and hope, don't we? Um, I think the thing that we first have to know is from the beginning of the Bible all the way through, God regularly describes himself as the one who binds up broken things He's the one who heals what is broken. He's the one who repairs what has been breached. It says nothing is too hard for God. So so the very first thing, um, where is help found for a person who's been harmed it's it's found in God through Jesus. So we would encourage you, find ways to go to God, find ways to be with God, and to let him begin this healing process in your soul. And for, for all of us, that also means be around the people of God, because sometimes we're hurting so much, it's it's too hard for us to hope. So we're gonna be around people who hope for us. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe, so we're gonna be around people who are reminding us of God's truth. So first, I would just encourage you, God says he's the healer. So go to God for healer. But then the second thing I want you to know is God has also given us people as healing agents. God's goodness in the world is seen in medical professionals, in mental health professionals, in legal advocacy people, All of these things are in the world, and they are God's means of grace. So I don't want any of you to think it's only go to God. It's go to God and use every other means of God's grace that he has made available to us. Because healing is available, and not just healing, but even redemption. You know, God says, I can take things that men use for evil, and I can bring something good out of them. And, and we're, gonna, we're gonna hear from somebody who has a redemption story and she has a healing story and she's just a picture of that today.
2: Yeah, um, we've just got about five or ten minutes left. And so with our just remaining time on this panel, I want to um, welcome up uh, Kendall. Kendall is a young woman who's been in our ministry for a while. I've gotten to know her and see God do really incredible things um, in her story. She's going to share about that. But as Amy said, you know, this idea that, um, you know, God can not only heal, but also God can use, um, use people to be advocates and to step into those places. That's a big part of, of really how Kendall spends her life now, and so I wanted to give her an opportunity to share her story.
0: Thanks, Ben. Um, okay, we're talking about some really hard things today, right? Um, so before I start, I just want everyone to take a deep breath. Like, actually, literally, we can all do it together. Okay. Nathan started us off um, this morning explaining the story of Tamar. And that story um, is hard to hear, but it's also a story that's so common not just in the Old Testament, but throughout our history and in our world. Um, and it's happening today. Um, it's a story of someone who is supposed to protect her and love her harmed her. He sexually assaulted her. And Tamar, at the time, a lot of commentaries believe She was about 15 when this happened. And then the people that were supposed to protect her after the fact that found out didn't do anything. Maybe they didn't know what to do, but they didn't know the next step. And that story is its personal to me because if you change just a few minor details, that story is my story. I was sexually abused between the ages of six. To 13 over and over again. Um, it was someone that I was told to trust over and over. I was told to trust this person, to believe in this person. Um, and then later on, the people that I told again were the people that were supposed to protect me, the people that were supposed to pursue justice for me, and they didn't. They didn't know what to do, and so they didn't do anything. But I don't just want to sit there today that the abuse that I endured was awful. I'm, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Like it, it really was terrible, but honestly, some of the harder parts was navigating the years after that and understanding what actually happened. Um, navigating the lasting effects of that abuse. Navigating the lies that I believed um, because of it. I believed that it was my fault somehow, some way. That's what Satan does. Um, and then, as I was trying to navigate what was going on my in my brain, I wanted to hide. I didn't want anyone to see what had happened to me so I did a good job I mean no one would have thought that anything had happened in my life honestly I wanted everything to seem perfect from the outside well internally I was dealing with anxiety I was dealing with these lies I was trying to navigate how do I handle this in my life completely alone because no one knew And y'all to to navigate what I would like to call the mental health battlefield that was going on in my brain, to navigate the lies and also keep up this front that everything was fine on my own was exhausting. And doing that all that by myself was also terrifying at times. That's something that we shouldn't have to carry alone. I would love to tell you that one day that I just woke up and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done handling this alone. I'm gonna go to counseling and everything was fixed and it was great. That'd be a cool story, that's not my story. Um, I will tell you, I I did go to counseling and I am so thankful that I did because my counselor was a person who was safe, a person who was trained, and a person who believed me and was able to help me navigate the lies that I would believed, they they helped me process my experience in a safe way, and I would say kind of launched me and empowered me to start understanding that healing is possible. During those first few months of therapy, though, my counselor started talking about this concept of shame. And I didn't know it at the time, but I'd been experiencing shame for a long time. That whole, I'm going to keep this front up, no one's going to know what's going on, was for 10 years after the abuse started. That's a long time. Um, And so she started talking about shame, and I was trying to figure out a good way to explain shame to you, and truly I I couldn't, so I went to the dictionary, Um, and it says that shame is an overwhelming feeling of humiliation caused by the wrongdoing of someone else, or of someone. But for me, it was I was carrying the weight of the wrongdoing of someone else. I I was holding the humiliation of that, and it wasn't mine to hold. And if I had to put words to my experience with shame, I would say that shame controlled me, shame silenced me, but it also amplified the lies that I believed. It caused me to see my identity, to see who I was only through the lens of what had been done to me, and not through the lens of what had been done for me. I only saw myself as someone who was broken and someone who was used, and at the same time also believing the lie that somehow the abuse was my fault, and I, I couldn't, I didn't want anyone to see that part of me. I didn't want anyone to know that I thought I, I wasn't enough or good enough, but I also, I didn't know how to go to God because, one, I didn't know if God cared, but then I couldn't go to a perfect God if I didn't feel like I was enough. I felt broken and used, so how was I supposed to go to God? And then one day, um, I'm—I am so thankful for this moment. I'm so thankful that my counselor said, "Hey, d- did you know that Jesus didn't just die for sin? That Jesus died for the shame that you've been carrying. Because of Jesus, I had a new identity." I had a new identity, and no one had the power to give me the identity that I had carried, the false identity that I'd carried for so many years. Jesus died and rose again so that I could be redeemed and made new and live in that identity. Y'all, when I understood that truth for the first time, something physically changed within me. I felt like before then I'd been carrying literally a weight around and that weight was shame and I wasn't supposed to carry that. None of us are supposed to carry that weight if we're in Christ. I had no idea. I'd grown up in church my whole life. I was a believer since I was nine. I had no idea that God cared about what happened to me. He cared so much though that he sent his son to die to endure abuse, and to endure pain, and to endure, endure trauma, even before he was nailed to the cross. Not just to save us, but that, so that he could understand and empathize with our suffering in this world. Sit in that. Just take a minute. God sees you. He knows you. And Jesus knows and has experienced the suffering in this world that so many of us have experienced. And he cares so deeply for you in that, that he died and rose again so that you are not stuck, so that you and every single one of us in this room are not hopeless in our suffering. If you're in here and you have experienced sexual assault and sexual abuse, or you're still navigating what your experience is. First, I want you to hear that I am so sorry that that was your experience. It is one of the worst kinds of evil. But I also want you to hear that you don't have to leave today the same person that you were when you walked in. I know um, because I've experienced this that there is someone sitting in this room maybe a few of you, that is hearing this um, hope and healing that we keep talking about, and you're like, cool, that's great. Maybe it's for the person sitting next to me, but that my story is too hard. My story is too complicated for God to do anything, for God to redeem. And I want to say this in the most loving, compassionate way that I can. You're wrong. Your story is not too hard for God to redeem, and your story is not too hard for this community, for the people in this room to come alongside you and support you. I also believe that the lies that you're, be- you're hearing right now, of your story is too hard, are also being amplified by Satan. Satan doesn't want you to come forward. Satan doesn't want you to bring the hardest parts of your story to lie- to light. Because you know what? Satan loses power when that happens, and he's desperate to keep that power. For me, for years, Satan silenced me. He kept me from speaking out. He used the lies that I was already believing and amplified those so that I wouldn't do anything about what had happened to me. I, I didn't bring anyone in, and I didn't bring it to light. Satan caused me to live in that old identity that I was telling you about, like in those lies of this is my fault, I am. there's nothing that God, t- God could do but I've already told you that I experienced that God does heal, that God does care, that God does redeem. And God is continuing to redeem my story. God healed me, and he's continually showing me what that healing looks like every day as I walk that out. Trusting God through that process, it was scary. It was actually really, really hard. But God was so trustworthy in that, even when I didn't want to trust him. When I first made the decision to trust God in healing, um, and I I say that like I I genuinely was a conscious decision, like I'm going to tell someone, and I'm going to trust God to do this. Because honestly, it wasn't working out any other way. But in that, I told God, and I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust you. But what you have to do is show me that you can somehow bring good out of this. That somehow you can do something good with the absolute hardest parts of my story. Because there was a part of me that didn't believe that he could. But you know what? God did bring something good out of it. God didn't erase what happened to me. There's the the reality that I experienced sexual abuse and that someone intentionally harmed me is always going to be a part of my story. But God said the next chapter is mine. And I thought what God was going to do is I was going to just have these tools to navigate the hard stuff that I was experiencing and then maybe have a few random conversations with girls over coffee, right, and get to share my experience that healing was possible. But God, um, doing what he does, um, he changed the trajectory of my life. He allowed me um, to have a mission in life, to get to serve and walk alongside women who have the same experience that I have. And I get to tell them each and every day that hope and healing is absolutely possible. I get to advocate for women who don't feel like they're worthy of being advocated for. And honestly, it's one of the coolest things to get to sit not in the reminder every day of the abuse, but in the reminder that God redeemed, and I get to share that. The process of bringing your pain to light is going to be really hard. It's going to be scary at times, but I promise you that it will be worth it. God is a God of healing. He is a God of comfort. He is a God of redemption and restoration, God is trustworthy. I've experienced it in my own life. He is trustworthy in healing, and he's the one who does the healing. Will you trust him today with the hardest parts of your story? Don't leave here today without talking to someone. Talk to a staff member. You're more than welcome to talk to me. I'll be around. Um, But there's information even on the tables out here. Don't leave without having a next step of how to trust God with the hardest parts of your story and to trust him with the healing. Kendall.
3: So we knew we could talk to you about these big ideas of evil in the world and a God who wants to heal, but really the, the most powerful thing is to show you. And so that's what Kendall's doing with her life and her story here, she's showing you that all these beautiful ideas about a God who heals are true. And the even more mind-blowing ideas, a God who redeems, who works in something really evil and brings something good, that it's true. And so I I know we're not all sitting out here with a history that includes um, sexual assault, but we're all sitting out here with our own experience of evil. Sometimes it's the evil inside us. Sometimes it's just the weight of walking in a world that's full of evil. And if if all we have is the awareness of evil happens in the world, then that's a pretty hopeless picture, isn't it? Um, But I want to, for just a second, take you back to Genesis 3 and give you the hope when God said to Satan, I will put hostility between you and her offspring. God was talking about Jesus. Way back when sin first entered the world and everything started coming apart, God had a plan for the one who would put it all back together. And so without Jesus, right, there is no hope. But there is hope with Jesus, there's hope for all of us. Those of us who struggle with just our own sin and we're stuck in it, there's hope. Because he came as a sinless human being and he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross to gain victory over sin. And because of him doing that for us, We we don't sit under condemnation. We find forgiveness for our sins. We find his power available to help us in the future. And for those of us who have suffered evil at someone else, because of Jesus, we find his compassion. We find him suffering alongside us, and we have hope for redemption. So evil in the world, yes, and that does seem hopeless. But with Jesus, there is hope. So choose hope.
1: That's really good. I love that. Guys, this was wonderful. Ben, Amy, thank you so much. Kindle. thank you. Um, yeah, and again, this is just the start of a conversation, so don't hesitate to reach out. Here's how I would love to end though. Um, I want to go ahead and invite Dimmy back up on to the stage, and I really just want this next little worship song that she's going to do just be a time for you and the Lord. So if you need to stay seated and you don't want to stand up and worship, stay seated. This is space for you to reflect. What we just talked about is really, really heavy stuff. Um, And I love how Amy just ended with that, of hear hope and hear a God of compassion and whose character is not defined by the things that happen to you and other people's wickedness. And so we don't know what you're bringing into this room. Um, Maybe harm has been done to you and you are bringing wounds that are fresh and real, or like a part of Kendall's story that have just been there for a long time and you've been concealing them. Maybe that's what you're bringing into here. Here, a God of hope and who wants to redeem and restore. Maybe you're bringing into this room um, some other burden. Maybe it's shame, like Kendall talked about. Maybe you've inflicted wounds on other people. Maybe it could be a whole array of things. Here, a God uh, who loves you, who sees you, And who wants to redeem and restore and who takes broken things and binds them up. Who takes imperfect people and restores them and makes them whole. That is the God we have who looks at you. And if you are in him, says you are not defined by your past. You are a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. So that's the kind of God that we have. Demi's going to lead us um, in worship. Let me just pray over us real quick and and then we'll get out of here. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and how you love us and that you see us and you look at us with compassion and with empathy. Someone who has experienced suffering, someone who has experienced um, all of the brokenness of this world, Father, um, and you are present with us in whatever burden we are carrying. Remind us that you are a God of hope, that you are a God of healing, and I just pray in your name, Jesus, that in these next few moments as we are just sung over and as we join in worship, that we, as we draw near to you, we would find that you were right there, and we experience your truth, your love, and your healing even in these few moments. Um, Father, we need you. We pray that you change us from the inside out. We pray that you redeem and restore us from the inside out. Uh, Father, we pray all of these things in your holy and precious name. We love you. We need you. Amen.